I see a lot of women kind of sacrificing themselves on the altar of motherhood a little bit. And I kind of wish they didn't. They don't need to. A lot of dads are more capable than people let them be. Hey Zesties, welcome to the Gleeful Talk Show, where we share zesty stories to cultivate the happiness and hero within. For most 30-something women, we are confronted with numerous questions about life, our future, womanhood, career, and a lot more. I, for one, is certainly undergoing a lot of transformations as well as trying to plan out my future wherever I can. And one of the major decisions as women is on whether we decide to become a mother. So I decided to invite a new mom to her adorable son. She is an author and creator of children's books and videos for the English-speaking Filipino family. And fun fact, I did a voiceover on some of her content on her YouTube channel. So please do check them out, Zesties. Please welcome Kat of Tita KitKat Books. Hi, Kat. Hi, how are you doing? All right. So shall we dig right in? So I know you've recently become a mother and I was very curious because I think a lot of my peers as well have the same question. So how did you know when was the right time to have a kid? I mean, there's no right time to have a kid. If you had asked me about a year ago or two years ago, actually, I probably wouldn't have wanted children. The difference was that I have a vision of how I want to raise children, right? I wanted a partner because I don't want the single stress of I didn't want to be a single parent because that's really, really difficult. And I don't think I have the patience or the even the work ethic for that. So I wanted a specific kind of partner. And if I was still, you know, if I was dating somebody else, I probably wouldn't want kids at all still. And, you know, it's okay to be in your 30s and not want children. Yeah, I just got lucky and the time was right. That's a good kind of plan, I would say, because it will be a team, right? Well, for me, ideally, yes. But there are a lot of people that are single parents and they, they're probably better without a partner. That's just not my personality type. That's not my home life. If I have to be, if I have to live alone and be a single person, I'd probably only be able to take care of myself. To take care of somebody else, I needed help. I do know a lot of single mothers or single dads that are great at it and they're better because they get to make all the choices themselves. That's not how I would be able to do it. I can understand because I can't even imagine myself as well. Like if I can't even take care of myself right now. <laughs> and look. If I did, if I was in a situation, I'd, I'd probably do the very Filipino thing and move back with my parents if I did find myself having a kid and not having a partner. So I just, either way, I would need help. So I'm, I'm not so independent that I could have done it all by myself. Yeah, I can't imagine for myself either. And since you've mentioned that, because you are currently based in the U.S. and then your family is in the Philippines? No, we moved out of the Philippines back in 92. So my parents are actually in California. Most of my family are in the California or Seattle area. But I am on the East Coast because my husband is military. So we ended up in North Carolina. Now I'm getting a bit derailed, but I'm curious, were you brought up in a Filipino kind of way or like an American way or in a, a mix? So, well, we moved to Switzerland first. And I would say of all the cultures that I identify with, there's a certain expat culture that I am most comfortable in. 
My parents, they didn't really raise me in the Filipino way because I think they really cared about us assimilating as best as we could. And then I think my teens or a little bit before my teens was when we moved to the U.S. So then I, I'm American in that sense. But I think there's an expat culture. That's what I would claim, you know, kind of a third culture situation because I don't quite fit into the American way. So, because you were in Switzerland, like a Swiss or French or German, because I think they speak different languages there. I, I learned French. The problem, I, it is, it's almost a little bit embarrassing now, but I, I used to only speak Tagalog. We got to Switzerland and then I switched to English because that was what my school was in. And my parents are obviously fluent in English as well. So everybody started speaking English. And my second language at the time was French. So now I actually speak French better than I speak Tagalog. That's why I'm now trying to relearn because obviously I have a kid it's important for me to pass on that heritage but when it was just me you know I look Filipino people will know that I'm Filipino before they hear me or anything like that I I now have a red-headed child and I want him to feel Filipino it's kind of harder to do when you're red-headed ah yeah wow what what an interesting story that I didn't even expect which I'm pleasantly surprised So you grew up in Switzerland and, you know, been in the U.S. So how is it being pregnant and maybe away from your family and, you know, in the U.S.? So how does that feel like? I mean, it was okay. I had an okay pregnancy up until the end. Labor was terrible because that lasted like three days. (laughs) But the pregnancy was great. I was actually, I was able to work out for almost a little bit. And then at the end, it was just terrible. But thankfully, you kind of block out most of that. My parents came in about a couple weeks after the birth. And then they hung out with us for a while, taking, you know, kind of bonding with the child. And then, you know, every once in a while, I'm going to have them just live with me for a few weeks so that they can take care of the kid and get to know them a little bit. But I I mean, it's not ideal. I wish that we all lived in the same place, obviously, because I I obviously am a Tita. I have have nephew and a niece. And, you know, I was very, very close with them while I lived, you know, when I was still living in California before I moved. Now they're growing up really, really fast. And with COVID, I can't travel. So and I'm definitely not going to take my son on a plane right now. So I feel awful that he's not knowing his cousins and his cousins don't really get to meet him outside of FaceTime. Yeah, so that that was hard. And I think if it wasn't for COVID, it would be a little bit easier. But yeah, that's this kind of what we have to deal with. And unfortunately, with the U.S., it's not necessarily the most maternity friendly country in the world. It can be very expensive to have a kid. And then maternity leave is very, very short or, you know, you don't get it. Some people don't get it at all. They have to use their vacation time because it's not mandated. So that that's one of the difficulties. Every other Western country has like at least a few months of mandated. It's in the United States. It's recommended that we get maternity leave. But, you know, if it lasts more than two months, it's pretty surprising. Yeah, very surprised because a lot of, you know, Filipinos know this American dream, right? So But now I think mostly go to Canada because of the good, you know, health care and all the the good benefits there. And now I actually understood why they wanted to go because I was kind of like, should I go to Australia or Canada? But I have an aunt in the U.S. and then she said, why did you go to Australia? And I was like complaining. So everything is so expensive here. Well, I mean, if you want to live in America and you are very career oriented, individualistic, that's great. Uh, This is 
probably a great place for you, right? That's what I was in my 20s, and that's how I felt in my 20s. If you want a big family, like a lot of Filipinos, you know, very family-oriented, they want to have a lot of children, maybe the United States is a very difficult place to be to do that. You mentioned that you were doing okay when you were pregnant, so you didn't have any fears, or did you have fears during that point in your life? I certainly had a lot of anxiety because you know this creature is going to take over my entire life <laughs> this creature <laughs> i wasn't afraid necessarily about like you know we don't have to worry about if we're going to be able to pay the bills or anything like that because having two incomes and you know having my husband that was a really great safety net i was more afraid of like am i going to be a terrible mother obviously am i going to be able to send him to college you know am i going to raise a serial killer <laughs> these are things that i was thinking about. <laughs> You know, am I going to show them enough affection? Am I going to make, you know, a very spoiled or terrible child? Are they going to have attachment issues? So I, I spent a lot of my pregnancy reading a lot of psychology books, <laughs> trying to figure out how I wanted to parent. Well, that's a good preparation, at least, you know, <laughs> to update also your anxiety. At least you, you arm yourself with knowledge. And so right now, how do you manage being a mom, a wife, an author, and whatever your day job is? So how do you manage that? So we hired help. <laughs> I have a nanny. So I, I actually work from home full time. I'm an insurance representative. So what I do is I, I'm on the phones or I'm on the computer. Most of the day I get breaks and I have a lunch. So during my break and my lunch, I take my child so I can feed him and, you know, just hold him for a little bit because I find that's really kind of soothing for me. And then, yeah, as soon as I'm done with work, I get off the phones and I get off the computer and then I have my child the rest of the day. My husband comes home. We do the bedtime routine. And then once he's in bed, which is usually around 730 or eight o'clock, I kind of you know, sneak out and then I will try to draw or I'll try to write something or try to finish the book. Sometimes it doesn't happen because it's the very last thing in the day and sometimes I just choose to go to sleep. So that's why I haven't been producing as much lately. It's been, I don't know, about six months since I really created another a book. So it's it's been a while. I did those videos, but, you know, and then I stopped because I started getting really tired and sleepy. And does he wake up in the night and start crying? Because I heard when I was a kid, my mom was like, oh, I was like really crying all the time. They didn't get sleep. So how was it for you? He's actually a really easy child. He's very predictable. So I know exactly when I have to wake up. So usually he's in bed by 7.30. The next time I have to feed him is 11 o'clock and then at 2, 2.30. And then he wakes up fully at around 6. So if I can just get myself to sleep, it's actually pretty manageable. The problem is, of course, if I have trouble getting to sleep, then I'm not going to feel very rested. It's just because... I'm dreading waking up in like two, two and a half hours and I'm staring at the ceiling. And, you know, you can sometimes end up in a spiral of anxiety because I'm just worried about being able to get sleep so I can work the next day. And so you mentioned also about the maternity leave. So did you use your annual leave or how did it work for you? No, the last part of my pregnancy, I just chose to kind of be unemployed because my last job, I knew I couldn't do it with, with a child because there was so much traveling involved. I was doing photography for, you know, this company that makes yearbooks. So I had to travel over the, you know, couple states and do overnights and kind of take everybody's yearbook photos and things like that. The pay was really, really good. The company was really great. 
But that level of traveling, I don't think my husband would have been able to kind of deal with that as well, especially since, you know, we were trying to breastfeed. We were trying to make sure that we were making nice routines and good choices and reduce stress for everybody. So I ended up becoming looking for a stay-at-home position. And then I managed to find it when I was about eight months pregnant. I did the interview and then they hired me a couple of weeks later. And then it started three weeks after I gave birth. Oh, wow. You tried to manage and work around. Just very curious about being a mom and away with your family. So what are the struggles aside from being away from the family? Like right now, even if you have a nanny, what's your main struggle? It's, I would still say childcare. I mean, there's a lot of people that are willing to babysit and stuff, but I don't think they necessarily understand how finicky my child can be. I still have a lot of anxiety being away from him because I'm at home, right? If anything goes wrong, I can just turn off what I'm doing and go take care of my kid if the nanny's getting overwhelmed or if he's getting really upset. So I have a lot of problems leaving the house because I don't want to. <laughs> I, I want to be around my kid all the time, except for the only time that I'm okay leaving him is when he's with my, like right now, um, my husband just took him downstairs to get breakfast. You know, the only person I really trust other than my nanny is my husband with my child. So that can be a little bit difficult because, you know, my husband and I haven't had a date night probably since before the kid was born. He's five months old. So we spend a lot of time at home and I know my husband started to get a little impatient <laughs> just because he can't get me out. Is it because of the COVID situation as well, right? Or includes that? A little bit the COVID thing and then also a little bit just because everything in the house is exactly how I want it. So I'm very picky about where everything is in the home because it's kind of maximizes the efficiency of taking care of my sons. Even right now, we're on a road trip to New York. He's going to meet his other grandparents now, or his other grandparents. The planning that it took just to get the kid out of the house or just to get this road trip to happen, we've been planning this for weeks. The amount of stuff you have to bring when you have a baby, even if it's just down the road, it's a lot. So things like that were things I didn't really consider because with my niece and nephew, there were times where they were like, I'm thirsty. And I was like, oh, sorry. You want some coffee? <laughs> I didn't bring anything for them. But they were already like a year or something like that. So they're a little more resilient with a with a baby baby that doesn't walk yet. The amount of stuff you bring is amazing. I I can put all my stuff in an overnight bag or a gym bag. His stuff is like the entire back of the trucks. Oh, so were you this type of person before, like, you know, rigorous planning and all? Before you were a mom? No. I, if I was going to do a trip or something like that, I would pack maybe 30 minutes before. I would never put anything under the plate. I would always only have carry-on because I didn't need anything else. And if I, I figured if I did need it, you know, I'd be able to find it or I can do without it. it it'll be fine. But now everything has to be... We have to pack. We have to check everything. We have to make sure that everything is... The, the amount of stuff we pack for this kid is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> this is the joke that we kind of have a lot is... I don't know how much you know about American history, but Lewis and Clark, they went from the East Coast all the way to the Pacific. They walked up, up. Of course, they were explorers, so they walked the whole time. They had this Native American lady with them, and she was their guide, and she had her baby on her for the whole time. It took, I think, a year and something. So she just had the baby on her back and walked from one side of the country to the other. And I'm sitting here going, well, we need the baby tub. We need the baby's bathtub. I mean, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand how she was able to do that. 
<laughs> oh, well, the times have changed. <laughs> like, I, I don't understand how that baby didn't like attract a bunch of attention. I can't get this baby to stop crying sometimes. I just don't know if that woman is a hero. And every time I feel like I'm being a bad mom or I've, because I've forgotten something or I forgot his favorite blanket, I'm like, I don't understand how the pioneer women did this with their babies. Oh, <laughs> that's an interesting story because I'm not very versed with American history, even history for that matter. I easily forget. So we talk about the struggles. And of course, I guess motherhood changes you. That's what I always hear about women. But because I am not a mother yet, like it doesn't still inculcate it in my system. So hearing your story does. Yeah, I mean, even my husband, we were risk takers. One of the things we used to do together was go skydiving because we're both licensed skydivers. And now we, we stopped. Obviously, I stopped when I was pregnant. <laughs> I, I, when I was pregnant, I thought about going skydiving because there's technically nothing against the rules between, you know, the women have done it. Other women have managed Oh, really? To, yeah, uh, they can, they, you can skydive while pregnant. It's just not necessarily recommended. Because if you, if you skydive correctly, there's very little impact when you hit the ground, right? You just basically, you just step down. But if you crash, obviously, it's a hard crash. But, you know, now we're, we're, we're talking about what we're going to do. Are we going to go back to things like surfing and skydiving? And we both used to love those things. Now we're like, oh, it's really risky. We don't want to get hurt. If we get hurt, what's going to happen to the kid? You know, so that changed. Then I don't think it, it didn't really change even when I was pregnant. I was just mad that I couldn't do these things. And then when the kid came out, all of a sudden it was like, oh, no, we have to. This is like what we do now. We're, we're parents. So that was a huge difference. We're still trying to figure out, is, is it okay for me to go skydiving? Will I be comfortable going skydiving? We're not comfortable surfing just because apparently that's riskier for us. We hurt ourselves a lot more doing that than we did skydiving. You, you hurt yourself more in the surfing rather than skydiving. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, there's definitely a lot more unpredictability when it comes to ocean waves than it does from, you know, the air. Mm. And before you decided to become a mom or get pregnant, did you have like any other apprehensions like, oh, I can't do this thing anymore if I will be a mom or anything like that? Or you were like full 100% in? Once the, the reason I didn't have a kid before was because I, if I wanted to buy a plane ticket and go to Rome or something like that, then I could back in the day. Obviously, you can't do that anymore because it takes two weeks of planning for a one day trip. So I, I, I would say that because I'm now in my mid-30s, I don't have much of a bucket list anymore. I've done most of the things I, I've wanted to do. There's very little appeal in like backpacking and sleeping under bridges or camping out in the woods or hitchhiking. All of those adventurous things are really hard on the body. And I am a little tired now. We get hotel rooms when we need to stay someplace instead of staying in a hostel. So I, I think I was ready. I was kind of ready to stop living that kind of life anyway. So I think I didn't have to give up as much. If I had had a kid in my 20s, I think I would have been a little resentful about not being able to do those things. But now in my 30s, I'm ready to stay at home. I'm ready to just be that predictable person now. It's like when COVID happened, I was kind of okay with being quarantined. That It was not a big deal to not go to bars and restaurants for me and just stay home. It was great for me. 
fewer social occasions because social occasions could, at this point, they, they make me a little bit anxious. Yes. Do you consider yourself an introverted spectrum or extroverted spectrum? Very introverted, I would say. But in my 20s, I was introverted, but I was active. I always wanted to go hiking. I always wanted to go see something. I always wanted to do something. And often I would do it alone because I didn't want the pressure of having to make conversation while I was doing it. But now there's just not that much that I want to do anymore. There's, you know, and whether or not I go see a sunset right now, it's like, eh, it's okay. <laughs> it's fine. I'm okay. I'll, I'll sleep. <laughs> Hi there, Zesty. Enjoying the conversation? Please don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, or wherever you listen to your pods. You can also follow the show on Instagram and YouTube, where I share clips and highlights of the episode. If you want me to stay caffeinated, you may also buy me a coffee or two. Just head down to the episode notes to find out how. Now, back to the regular program. <laughs> oh, nice. And what is your advice for people or women that are having some kind of hesitations, whether they want to become a mom or not? I would say if you're still hesitating, then keep thinking about it. If you have those kinds of choices, obviously not every woman gets that kind of choice. Sometimes things happen, plans change. But I would say, I mean, you'll, at least I did, we felt that it was right. My husband and I have known each other for a little over 10 years. We've been friends for most of that. And then there was just one moment we were hanging out and we realized that it was time for us to settle down. And then we have, and we have no regrets about it, even though it's been a huge lifestyle change. So if you're still hesitant, you know, keep thinking about it. It's okay. It's okay to delay it. I mean, and, you know, really visualize how you want to raise kids because I'm in a lot of mom groups, of course. And one of the things that a lot of women talk about is that they didn't realize how the chores were going to be divided, that they're raising their kid and also doing all the house chores. That's a terrible situation to be in. So, you know, even before we had the kid, my husband and I discussed it, you know, since I have to do more with the kid, at least early on, he's doing more of the chores in the house. He's the one keeping the house clean most of the time. He's the one cooking dinner because we're both full-time workers. It's just splitting up workload is one of the big things that I wish everybody would talk to their spouses about a lot more because I feel like that is a huge thing that causes people to have a rift in their marriage after a kid. A lot of people say that their marriages get worse after having a kid. And me and my husband that actually, no, we're, we're, we're doing really good. I, I'd say we're more solid after having a kid because we were working together on this little project all the time. We have to continue to check in with each other all the time because of this kid. So these are, these are just things that I wish people would talk about to their partners instead of just, you know, it's not just about the little bundle of joy. It's about the process as well. I wish people would talk about the process of raising a kid as well and talk about, do you prioritize school zones versus cost of living? Do you prioritize your job over school zones? That kind of stuff, you know, and hope that everybody's on the same page so you argue less, I guess. Wow, that's a very insightful advice. And yeah, I love it because... Yeah, the, the chores, the chores, yes. <laughs> That's, it's such a huge, people don't think about it because they think it's just not a big deal. But when the kid is crying and they're inconsolable, because that happens, it happens a lot, you know, is doing the dishes while your husband is doing something else or like relaxing or watching something, is that going to break you? <laughs> is that going to break you for that moment? Because it might, you know, and I, I see a lot of women really going kind of, 
crazy and they're not crazy people. They're just been pushed so far. You know, their husband might be playing video games after work instead of taking care of their kids. Is that going to be something that breaks you and your marriage? And of money. You know, this is why my husband comes home. First thing he does is he takes the kid away from me so that he can hang out. And then our alone time is after the kid goes to bed and we much discuss what we think is equal and what we don't think is equal. We're going to see a lot of women kind of sacrificing themselves on the altar of motherhood a little bit. And I kind of wish they didn't. They don't need to. A lot of men are more capable than, or a lot of dads are more capable than people let them be. Yeah, I, I like your take on that. And it's because maybe, you know, there's this thinking about women that we are strong, we can do everything, but, you know, we can do everything. But <laughs> yes, we can. But why? Would you want to? If something were to happen to my husband, then yes, I would deal with it. And then, and it would be a completely different situation, but he's fully capable right now. You know, he has the time, he has the stability to do these things. Why wouldn't you ask them to do it if they're your partner instead? Why don't, you know, a lot of women treat their husbands like children around the house. Like they can't do dishes, they can't do laundry, things like that. But then you'll look at maybe your 10-year-old and you'll expect them to put away their dishes. Why don't you expect the same from your husband? Or why don't you expect your husband to take responsibility in the house the same way you do? Yeah, exactly. Yes. What do you think is the best advice your parents gave you during your pregnancy or motherhood in general? Oh, ooh, I don't know. <laughs> That's a hard one. Could I, I mean, you know, my mother just kind of let me let me do whatever I wanted. She didn't really put a lot of input in it unless it was something really. I mean, I don't think she really she just kind of left me alone to figure it out and that she'd be very encouraging if I was making a decision that was slightly different. Like, okay, so my son and I, we bed share, which is something kind of looked down upon right now. Bed sharing. So instead of my son sleeping in a crib, he sleeps with me in the bed, right? And that's something that is not recommended at the moment. I think the first two, three weeks or so that I had him, he would just not sleep unless he was close to me. So my mother was just like, this fine. You're alive. <laughs> you can, and I slept with my mother apparently for like the first year and something, year and a half, where I always slept with somebody, if not if not my parents, my sisters. I was always sharing the bed with somebody. <laughs> we we had like three people to a room. Uh, and she's like, You're you're fine. You're okay. <laughs> I mean this you know, it's gonna be okay if you do that. There were a lot of times where my mother's advice was just you need to stop caring because there was a lot of pressure to exclusively breastfeed. And there was a time when I couldn't. And she was like, you're fine. You had formula too. It's okay. There's a lot of man-made or at least human-made, I guess, pressure on mothers. And my mother is very, very good at not caring about it. She doesn't care about this, like, ex societal expectations of what a perfect mother, especially with mommy blogs and things like that. Those things are just terrible, terrible places to be. So it's like all these moms want to be the perfect mom and they they want to only breastfeed and they want to be natural. And my mother's like, don't. It's not worth it. It's not worth it to care. They're, you're probably going to be back. Ah, yeah, that's good. Because, yeah, social media as well, you know, like uh, romanticizing, I guess, motherhood sometimes. 
so much. I, I think that's why my mother's a little bit of a rock star. She just never cared what other people thought. <laughs> so she's very, very good about just like, yeah, okay, it's nice to know, but I don't care. It's, it's not going to work <laughs> for me, so bye. Oh, that's good. And I think you mentioned earlier, but what are your plans on, you know, teaching your little one on aspects of our heritage? So part of the reason my son has a nanny instead of going to daycare is because I do intend for my kid to learn Tagalog. I want him to have Tagalog lessons. Just through Tita KitKat, I've had a lot of contact with some educators. They do online classes for kids and families and things like that. So I do want him to be a multilingual kid. I, I can't teach him Tagalog because I'm terrible at it. In fact, I can't even teach him French because I say I've, I probably make a lot of mistakes now. So I do want him to learn languages early on. I do want him to understand his heritage. My intent is for him to call me Nana when he's growing up. And then I do intend for him to, well, I guess I have to learn how to cook, but I want him to know Filipino food. I want him to know his, his, that side of his family because they're very involved. But at least when I was growing up, there weren't a lot of Tagalog lessons online. There weren't a lot of resources for that. You couldn't buy books at the library teaching you Tagalog at the time. And now you can. So it's kind of why I have Tita KitKat in the first place was because I was trying to find books for my nephew. And there weren't that many. They, there were books that would teach him like 24 words in Tagalog. And then that was it. It's like there was nowhere to go after that. There were no like videos, not, no songs, nothing, nothing that was really available for him to learn kind of at that kid level. So that's why I started doing the Tita Kit Kat. And then there's apparently a lot of other people doing the same thing, which I think is great because then the more ways that a child can learn, the better, the more likely they are to retain it. So I, I do want him to know about his culture. I do want him to understand, you know, kind of that pre-colonial, especially the pre-colonial culture. I want him to understand Filipino mythology as much as he knows, you know, Greek and Roman mythology, which I didn't necessarily have. In fact, I'm still learning a lot about Filipino pre-colonial mythology. I could probably recite a lot of things about Camelot and Greek gods and, you know, Roman gods, but I had no idea about like, creation the the creation myths for the from the philippines i didn't know that until after my son was born and now it's becoming a little more mainstream so i'm kind of grateful about that so i really hope that he he gets into that and i'm trying to kind of there's a there's a short window of time when your child loves everything that you love right and that they will listen to everything that you say and in that window i do intend for him to know a lot about his culture. Yeah. <laughs> Try to, you know, feed everything you, you want to feed him as long as, you know. <laughs> Just get it in there in the early stages before things like school and the outside world start influencing him. Just really turn him, turn my little redheaded child into a proud Filipino during that time frame. And thankfully, my husband, obviously where he gets the red hair from, is Irish. He's <laughs> actually really supportive of you know, the Filipino culture, at least me teaching Filipino culture. The videos that you did the voices for, he's watched them several times. He now knows Tagalog words. He likes to use them at work because he works with, you know, with Filipinos and he likes to show off that he's learned these things. So it's kind of turning into a family thing. So if I learn Tagalog, my husband's going to try to learn it too, of course, because he's always up for learning a new language. So 
we're hoping that uh, there's going to be a point where we kind of have a much more multilingual family. Uh, yeah, that's what I noticed as well. Uh, my husband is Hungarian and he picks up my Cebuano words when I have like video call with my mom and he tries to talk it to my friends. Very, I mean, it's, it's nice to be with someone who's multilingual, right? Because they do try. They're not embarrassed about their accents. They're not embarrassed to try new things. If they learn it well enough, they'd be totally fine having that be the language at home. So because they, they know that it doesn't, you know, preclude you from learning other languages. And my husband actually knows more languages than I do. Oh, how many, if I may ask? So he speaks Spanish. He speaks French. And then at one point or another, I believe, oh, he speaks German. And then at one point or another, I think he used to learn or he used to know Serbo-Croatian. But I think he only retains like the German and the French now. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, because like if you don't speak it on a day-to-day basis, sometimes you tend to forget. And what language do you plan to speak in the household? So the language, unfortunately, my husband and I, other than English, only have the one common language, which is French. So we can speak French to each other, but we don't feel confident teaching that. So we're hoping that we can find a nanny that maybe a, a Quebecois or something like that. And nanny who speaks French fluidly because we we speak french like you know people that learned it as a second language you know we we use a lot of like crutch phrases that aren't necessarily correct you know anybody who heard us speak french they'd be like oh you speak french but you also are not native so we do want to teach him french and we also definitely want to teach him tagalog my husband is hoping that we can get that going in the house once you know he obviously he's six months he doesn't speak yet <laughs> but my husband does want my parents to come hang out in the house he likes it when the, my parents are in the house and he wants to encourage them to speak only tagalog to the to the kids so that he has that relationship where he is forced to speak tagalog but We'll see how that goes. It's just so easy to switch to English for everybody involved that I don't know if that's going to work out. I know my sister tried to do that with her kids, but English is just so easy to resort to when it's the common language. Yeah, but that, that's very exciting. It's very exciting. And before we wrap up, so I had like some little fun questions. So since you're starting to learn Filipino mythology, if you would have to associate yourself with a Filipino mythological creature or story, which one would that be? Oh, well, still not sure. I don't think I know them all well enough. The one that I like right now is uh, uh, the Halia myth with, with Bakunawa, the one, the, the sea serpent that swallows the moon and causes the eclipse. I actually started kind of relating to the sea serpent because at least the, the myth as I kind of interpreted it was that she was a lonely sea serpent living in the depths of the ocean in total darkness all the time and became fascinated with the moons because she became fascinated with their light so to me it's like i don't know if you, do you know lord of the rings at all yeah 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 so you know how Gollum. a lot of people kind of empathize with Gollum and his loneliness i that that was kind of what i started feeling for you know the sea serpent because i was like oh she just wanted to be loved. <laughs> so <laughs> that's not how the myth was originally intended. That's a very modern interpretation of her story. But that was that was kind of how I felt. I was like, oh, she just wanted to be loved. She just wanted a little bit of light in her life. And then she ended up, you know, swallowing the moons. But in the meantime, she, she was being nice. She was she just wanted to if somebody had just cared about her a little bit, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Yes, it's a very good interpretation, though. Like you're empathizing on the character. 
Yeah, it's, you know, I also empathize with Gollum in Lord of the Rings, which is, again, terrible. He was a bad guy, of course. But I was just like, oh, I would just would. He just needed a little bit of affection. <laughs> he needed a good social worker. Yeah, yeah. Okay, next question. If there is a song that could describe your feeling right now or lately, what would it be? Ooh. Hmm. So the song that I've been, at least I sing it to my son a lot. It's, well, it was Ariel Rivera and Lea Salonga when they did Nandito Ko. So that is a song that I sing to my kid all the time. And I listen, apparently I listened to it a lot while I was pregnant too. And it is, it's his song now. He, he's out like a light bulb every time he starts hearing the refrain. So um, I, I would say probably that one. Oh, oh, nice, nice. So yeah, please invite our Zesties to go to your channel or your books. Right. So yeah, I have titakitkat.com. And my intent with Tita Kit Kat is to basically create multimedia to help teach kids about their culture. I don't focus on the Tagalog language because a lot of us, it turns out, don't really speak Tagalog all that well. But it is about the Filipino culture in all, mostly in English, to teach them about their history and their mythology, Filipino national heroes and all of that. All of these resources are for English-speaking families. And of course, there are resources on my website as well if you do want to focus on language. But I'm trying to focus more on things that are cultural, historical, mythological, the, the things that you don't necessarily get from just trying to learn the language itself. So storytelling is a big focus that I'm trying to have online. And it is targeted towards younger children, so probably eight and under. And I try to have a lot of resources for Filipino parents as I go along. Though, of course, I'm still learning myself. So as I, as I learn more, I share. Thank you, Kat, for your time here at the show. And we're looking forward to your next upcoming content. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, Zesty. What do you think of this episode? I'd be very happy to hear from you. You may send your feedback to gleefultalkshow at gmail.com or rate us on the podcasting platform of your choice. Comment or tag us on Gleeful Talk Show social media. See ya!